Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women Podcast, where we're claiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women, and this is episode 28, which is the second half of our Women in Translation Month discussion, and we are going to be talking about Things We Lost in the Fire by Mariana Enriquez and The Nakano Thrift Shop by Hiromi Kawakami. Here we are, Autumn. Uh, Books in Translation Month. Yes, I can't believe we're on the second episode for Books in Translation Month. I still have this stack of books in translation by women sitting in my library that I really want to read, but I'm not sure it's going to happen this year. Maybe I should just, I shouldn't just wait till next year. I should just read them. You should. Yeah. Or you can save them till next year. I, but more books are going to be coming out, right? Like, uh, what if Elena Ferrante writes another one? Oh, please, just stop. Just I would die. Just stop. Oh, my- you you still have three of hers that you get to read for the first time. I know, I know. Don't remind me. That wasn't pressure. That was a glorious, you know, knowing that you get to read these books for the first time in your future. I think I am going to reread the first one again, though. That's probably wise, because, like, it's basically a 1,500-page novel in four parts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm going to reread the whole thing. But I have my brand-new set from Quarter Lane, sitting on my shelf right now, and I love looking at them. <laughs> not that I hated, or not that I hate the original covers. I do like the original covers. It's just that these are so symmetrical, and it makes my heart happy. I We know, Autumn. Anyway. Know. So, introduction to translation. <laughs> so, we wanted to do a little bit of intro about translation and, like, the different things that some, some people don't think of when translating, because a lot of people think, like, you write... You know, the dog's name is Spot, see Spot run, Spot loves to run. But it's actually, you know, there's a lot of style. There's words with a different cultural heritage than other words, and some words that don't exist in the English language that exist in other languages. There's a lot going on. And I will say that it has taken me a while to become comfortable reading books in translation. The first few that I read, now this has been years ago now, I really didn't know how to read them, and they felt unwieldy and some of them felt like kind of unwieldy not all translations are this way I think some of the more modern translations are better about this but um, there definitely is a bit of a learning curve yeah and I think part of it that we need to acknowledge is that when you study English literature you're studying English literature which has its own literary cultural heritage and history and other writers who have inspired them so like you will get the allusions to past you know works of literature when you read a contemporary novel but if you are have a translated you know work of contemporary literature from a different language you don't understand all the allusions because you haven't read them exactly exactly and it's sort of like, um, I don't know, like telephone, because you have like the original text and then you have the translator's view of the text and interpretations that obviously are going to influence it. So it really is a different manifestation, I guess, of the book, not just a translation. Like it's sort of like a, you know, a book to movie adaption almost. I would say that's fair. Like maybe not, obviously not quite the same, but you know, that general, you're, you're picking up what I'm laying down, I think. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's like I mentioned in the last book that Valeria Luiselli, she considers her translated books a different incarnation of her original work. So she, she seems to consider them her their own separate thing from the original one, which I think just kind of, and I'm sure not all authors view it that way. 
I think this is evidenced by the fact that, you know, the Man Booker International now also gives an award to the translator, too. So, yeah, there's just lots of things going on. Yeah, and one of the things I think is really funny is that he translators notes about idioms. So, like, the exact translation of this idiom is this thing that sounds incredibly weird, and so they translate it into an English idiom. That's really cool. It's really funny because we have, like, you know, shut the front door. You know, it means that you are startled and like, no way, that can't be true. Well, that literally just means shut the front door, like, close it. But it actually means something else. And I just think it's so fascinating. Like, there are weird idioms in the languages, and I don't know. I could sit here and gush about language for a while, but I'll spare you. We know you love it. (laughs) So I guess um, now we should start talking about the books that we picked for this month. And we're going to talk first about... Things We Lost in the Fire by Mariana Enriquez, and it is translated by Megan McDowell and published by Hogarth. And as we mentioned before, this is a collection of short stories. So I guess the first thing, Kendra, is, uh, so what were your initial impressions of this collection of short stories? Well, I guess my first impression was, is the first story is about this woman who is this middle-class woman who lives in this really nice house in a really bad neighborhood of Buenos Aires, and then there's this little homeless boy that she befriends, and then he disappears. And then a murder happens, and she's afraid that the murdered boy is the little boy that she met. And it's really dark. I don't know, it was... as we've talked about before, there's a lot of, like, horror elements to this. Like, it's very, not gory per se as much as I would think, but just scary. Like, there's a lot of dramatic things that happen that kind of leave you frightened. And I was hooked to this story. Like, I had to know what happens. I was like, man, I didn't really expect there to be types of magical realism or, like, fantastical elements in the story, like, story collection at all. I did not even know that was going to be in there, so it was a nice surprise. The books definitely are fantastic in, like, the fantastical sort of sense. And this, the first story, The Dirty Kid, is definitely one that stays with you. And, like, it's very shocking. And it's very, like, the murder is very grotesque. And it's actually, like, well, the, the locals say that it's, like, a ritualistic killing to this saint in the neighborhood it's a lot to take in on your first read through but it really sets the tone for the whole collection of stories it it really does because in each story there's something kind of gruesome and horrific slash fantastical about it like it can be going along and be perfectly normal and then all of a sudden you're like this girl is missing an arm and you're like oh okay and this is how she lost it or whatever and i'm like oh okay or there's like this one story where these two teen girls are going to play a prank in this hotel room and then all of a sudden like they hear squad cars and like policemen shouting and like these strobe lights and all these things going on. And so they start screaming and then the owner of the hotel comes in and she's like, why are you screaming? And they're like, well, there's guns and policemen and strobe and lights and headlights. And they're like, there's nothing here. So it's very much like these very normal sort of things that all of a sudden become really supernatural. Yeah. And it was on top of that, it's, it's you're getting this like, I felt like I was on a sort of like a reading vacation to Buenos Aires and that, you know, you're there and you're kind of experiencing the city that I've, I've personally never been to. And I just, it was just so interesting that it, it just took you to that location, but yet it was so weird and magical. Absolutely. I did, I did think that the whole collection was a good introduction to the culture. And it seemed there were some references that I didn't get. And I think it was because 
I'm not, I'm just not familiar with like the, the different things that they were referring to, but it didn't, it didn't diminish from the book at all. Right. So I imagine like if you had a history in reading, you know, Spanish literature in translation, or if you originally read things in Spanish that you probably find a lot more in the story collection than we do as like native English reading, English speaking people or who haven't read a ton of translated literature. I mean, I've read, read Borges, but only like one or two of his stories. And I read Marquez. <laughs> and when you think magical realism, those are the two authors that you think of. But at the same time, this is its own magical thing in its, of itself. Like it, it stands on its own. Right. And so one of the other stories that I think we're not going to discuss all the stories in the book, because there's a lot of them and it would take multiple episodes to do that. But one of the ones we did kind of want to talk about is the title story. So the story called Things We Lost in the Fire. And it starts with the story of a girl called the Subway Girl. And she's this girl who would get on the subway and ask for money. But the thing is, is that she had been like horribly burned and disfigured because her husband thought, and it was true, that she was about to leave him. And so he poured alcohol on her and lit her on fire and so she used to be beautiful but like she's not anymore and so she would like go around on the train and like touch people and like get really close to people and so she kind of became maybe an icon is that the right word yeah sort of like a weird symbol of something but the problem with it is like she got on the news and then once she got on the news or once her story got out there were a lot of copycat crimes where men started burning their wives the same way. And it happened over and over and over again until one day the women decided that they were going to reclaim this burning and that they were going to start burning themselves in like a ritual to, to reclaim this horrible thing that had been done to them. Yeah. And it was interesting how the, I, I did not, First off, I did not expect the story to go that direction. But like when me neither. Yeah, when all the copycat crimes started happening, I was like, man, that's horrible. But then the you know the women start burning themselves to become part of this movement, and then it's like it's a symbol of your feminism that you no longer consider your appearance of like attracting men, whatever important. So you burn it, you know, and then it's a big deal. Like if you haven't burnt your appearance and like, it's like a ritual that you do and, you know, to combat the cores, the patriarchy, whatever. And then it was obviously wrong. Like they took it too far. Well, the story is focalized through a daughter and her mom and her mom is probably in her sixties and the daughter is probably in her late twenties, early thirties, something like that. And so they both get caught up in this movement and the mom becomes more radicalized and the daughter becomes more cautious. And so it's interesting to see, like, you kind of get the perspective of both sides of what's going on, like, within the same family. And I think, I mean, the title says a lot, like, the things we lost in the fire. And she doesn't use the words, like, got rid of or made free from, like, lost. So, like, you're losing something in the fire. And... I thought it was very interesting how they do lose something. Like, all of these women who are burning themselves, like, they're doing it still because of men and because of how they've been treated. They're not really, a lot of them aren't really doing it because they want to do it. They're doing it because they're told this is what you should do to combat this. And it was, so at the end, you don't know, like, if the protagonist is going to burn herself or not. Like, she really doesn't want to, but is she going to do it? Yeah, and it's a hard question. It raises a lot of really interesting questions about 
beauty, obviously, because at one point it says that the women um, changing the conversation about beauty because at they were saying like at some point so many women would have burned themselves that all the women would be monsters, which would like radically overturn these conceptions of beauty in the culture. But I think kind of what the daughter in the story is asking is like at what cost? Like at what cost are we doing that? Because some of the women wouldn't survive the burning. Their wounds would get infected and they would die. Yeah. It's hard. It's a really hard story. Yeah, it kind of honestly reminded me of like the cultural revolution i've always really enjoyed russian old-timey movies like it's only like dr Jolago and whatever and so like they obviously did this whole cultural revolution but in that they lost a lot of things and they kind of swung the other side of the pendulum and i felt that this was a, another picture of that kind of like reaction and how the reaction can be too strong and then you're also denying women of choice again of how they like they don't want to burn themselves they don't have to like you shouldn't be burning yourselves in the first place but it was just very asked a lot of amazing questions yeah definitely one of my favorite stories in the book this collection of stories was really thought-provoking it was really hard at times and as we mentioned there's a lot of violence and violence against women but in the epilogue i think it's in the no it's in the translator's note the translator explains the historical and cultural context that the writer grew up in, which I think is really helpful in understanding the stories because it just seems like it can seem like nonsense, nonsensical violence. And then you kind of see that she grew up under a culture that was recovering from a dictatorship and recovering from mass murders and was recovering from poverty and all kinds of things. So through that lens, it makes a lot of sense kind of how she processes that. Like we said, I think we said this in like the last episode, but some collections don't feel very unified. It's sort of like just, you know, the best stories that this author has written in the past X amount of years. But this one has like a bonding theme and like a unifying form to it they just seem like they all go together and they should be in the same collection i really appreciate the thought that went into that yeah i did too and so it's it's very good and um you know if you like some of the south american magical realist authors like you mentioned like borges and marquez then i would definitely recommend checking out you know, Things We Lost in the Fire by Mariana Enriquez. And that brings us to our Patreon spot. And so we wanted to talk to you guys about our Patreon. And so this is just something that we have to connect with you guys. And we have a lot of things that we'd love to do with the podcast, but we are just, you know, it's just Autumn and me and doing the thing. You know, two friends decided to start a podcast and here we are. So one of the things that I really like about our Patreon is that we wanted to do level, we have different levels that you can be a patron. So like the first one is you're a, patri- you're a patron and you get like inside info about what's going to happen and that's one dollar and so we wanted to do something creative so the first level is mary wollstonecraft which if you know is one of the first feminist texts um like ever basically um in modern history um in english and so we wanted to do them also in like historical order so next is jane austen in that level you also are part of our monthly like our newsletter that we do for our patrons which has a lot of insider info about upcoming themes and like our schedule and different things so you just have a you know heads up about what's going on and the next one is the bronte sisters uh you can have your name in the show notes and things and then we have a gloria nailer is where you have a monthly live stream 
and uh, which is really cool. So different every month we do like different things, uh, Q and A's, really whatever the patrons on that level want to do. Um, and then the last level is the Jumpa Lahiri, where we send you a personalized book recommendation in the mail. So it's actually a physical book, and it's sort of like your own personal book club from us. Obviously, the higher levels include everything from the previous levels, which is cool. But we really like this the setup and the different things. Uh, so if you want to be part of kind of like our guinea pig group and just chat with us, then definitely join our Patreon. Yeah, and we this is as Kendra said, like this is where we post the books that we're going to be reading in the upcoming month. So we're very careful about not posting it on Goodreads or anywhere else um, to make sure that we don't spoil it. And we also let our listeners who are our patrons vote on upcoming books or upcoming topics or themes and so yeah it's going to be a very interactive place where we can kind of get your opinion and get your input and recommendations from you and make this podcast better we'll have a link to that in our show notes so you can go check that out and i guess i will just keep talking because uh our next pick is the one that i chose for this month and that is the nakano thrift shop by hiromi kawakami translated by allison markin powell and that's out from Europa. So the first uh, thing we wanted to chat about was what is your initial impression of the book, Autumn? So at first, I did not like this book at all because it wasn't doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> the story of Hitomi and Takeo and Masayo and Mr. Nakano, and they are all work in this thrift shop. Well, Masayo is the sister and she's an artist. And so she's just in and out. But so it's like the day to day of these mainly three people working in a thrift shop. That's not very popular. It is. It is kind of funny. Like it's a really humorous setup and they do a lot of random stuff. Like to me, it would make a really good like TV show or something. Yes. It's almost like The Office, but not as funny. But yeah, but I, I agree. Like, when I first started this book, like, if you watch my 24 and 48, like, vlog, like, I did not really want to pick this book back up again because I did not get it. But then I was like, no, I need to read it. So I went and looked up a bunch of stuff. And then, like, I don't know, it just clicked with me. And I just, I don't know, I really enjoyed the last 60% a lot more than the first 40 because it was like oh I understand what it's doing now and I could see the stuff that I'd read previously like how that also connected with what it was doing. And I think this comes back to what we were kind of talking about the learning curve when it comes to reading translated books is that it's not I mean the cultural perspective is so different that sometimes it's hard it's not like we it's not easily understandable at first. Yeah, I think it's like it's just cultural differences as well and learning that. I'm sure like if I had, I imagine that if I had read fiction from Japan more than I have, which is, I can't really think of any translated books from Japan that I've read, but I think I would connect with it a lot more quickly because then you're kind of used to that um, style and culture and different things. Yeah, and I'm sure that people who read works translated from English into their languages have the exact same problem. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think it'd be more common, which is interesting when it goes reverse, because then you're talking to people who have been reading a lot more, you know, fiction from English language translated into their language more than you have read, you know, vice versa, which is really interesting. It is interesting. I feel like they, they, they went up they went up you and you're like, oh, right, I, I need to read more. <laughs> right. Uh, so the next thing that we want to talk about in particular was uh, 
the different characters in the book are all seeking intimacy or relationships, close relationships. It's specifically, I guess, a lot of romance and romance-wise, but not necessarily. And they're seeking a close connection. So we want to discuss the different ways that characters seek intimacy in the book because each of the four characters that um, Autumn mentioned do it in different ways. Yeah, and so, like, Hitomi, we don't... Like, the thing is, is, like, we don't know a lot about these characters' backstories, or rather we get them piecemeal. And so she doesn't have any family nearby, but she kind of develops this crush on Takio, who was the... He basically helps pick up deliveries and run errands and stuff. But she, like, won't express it to him at first, at least. Right. And Takio, in particular, I found very interesting because he really struggles with trusting people. We know that he's had an ex-girlfriend. She's like, okay, then he's free. So she kind of becomes infatuated with him, but he's very, very hesitant. Even when they've gone on a few dates and eventually they do sleep together, it's like it never happened. Like he can't break down his walls to experience that intimacy. So she becomes frustrated because not only does she not understand how she feels, she's frustrated that he won't take this journey with her. And that's a lot of the book is them going back and forth. And, you know, will they or won't they or will one of them get over themselves about, you know, trusting the other one? And it was very interesting to watch. And we find out at the end of the book that they're separated and then they end up meeting again. And I find that first interaction that they have together so interesting because they've worked in the store together for so long and then been separated. And then when they meet again, it's like they never knew each other. Yeah. And it was very hopeful. Like at the end of the book, I appreciated how it didn't tell you what was going to happen. Yes. But it kind of left you, like, with hope that something might happen. They might grow a little more. But what I thought was interesting when you compare this is with Mr. Nakano's relationship. And he has so many different mistresses and wives. I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know how many of their... I don't either. I think he had, like, three wives and three or four mistresses. I don't know. Yeah. So he obviously... <laughs> It's kind of like he seeks intimacy in a different way. So one of the mistresses is, she's a writer, and uh, Sakiko is writing this erotic story about these two people uh, having sex, and there's a lot of detail in the manuscript. We do not read all of the manuscript, but it was very interesting because at first Mr. Nakano was like, what is a woman writing this book? Like, there's a lot of stuff in it, but then Hitomi really connected with it in the fact that it was a very intimate description because when you compare that description of sex with the sex that she has with Takio it's very different like she and Takio have this very like business-like intimate encounter and then Sakiko's like story is very intimate and like drawn out and stuff according to what Hitomi tells us and so it's just when you compare the two about what truly what does it was it truly mean to be intimate? And I guess I'm kind of like jumping the gun on our one of our discussion topics is that sex isn't always equal intimacy for Hitomi. Like that's not how it works. Or for any you know, for different people view sex differently and the intimate qualities of it. Yeah, and even um Maceo, she has a boyfriend and she spends some time talking about her physical relationship with him and how so that, and it's more like their relationship is more based around their physical relationship and not so much anything else, which is also a different kind of relationship from the other two that we've already discussed. So there's all different angles to it. Yeah, and I found it interesting. Like, I didn't understand why so many 
relationships were going on when I first started reading the book. And that was one of the things that very much frustrated me was like, why are all these people doing all of these random things? Like with these random people, they barely know. And then someone said somewhere, like they were looking for something, like they were lost, like the objects in the thrift store are lost. Like they don't have owners anymore. They don't have connection. And that's what all the characters are looking for. Yes, I think the interesting thing about that, about it being set in a thrift shop is like, you know, all the things in a thrift shop, they're not new. They're things that belong to someone else previously. And now they've all ended up here in this place. So they don't really belong to anyone anymore, which is basically exactly what's going on in the characters' lives, too. Yeah. And like once you sit down and, and think about the book, like I read a lot of reviews about this book and I saw a lot that were like, nothing ever happens. You know, there isn't someone said that the I read, I think it was like Crocus that was like, they tried to talk about the meaning of art and whatever. And none of them actually talked about the relationships of the characters in the book, which is what I think personally that I saw the most of in the book. You know, I, I think there is stuff going on in the book that you just have to like, look at it from, you know, I don't know, different perspectives or whatever. I mean, everyone finds different things in different books, but I thought there were a lot of layers in meaning here that I really missed in the first, you know, I don't know how much percent I got before I started looking up all the things, but, but like once it clicked, it does click. So never fear, like if it's slow for you, hold in, hang in there. Hang in there because it is beautiful. Like in the end, it is a beautiful story. And especially once Hitomi and Takio get together in the end, and we kind of see the growth that they've had and how they've both matured and how, you know, they're both on better career paths and even how Mr. Nakano is on a different career. Like, well, he still has a store, but he's like on a different trajectory. I think it's very true to life in the sense that, you know, we've, we all have had those starter jobs where, you know, you're the, you work there and you don't really know why you're there and it's not really part of your career path. And so, and then, to see like how, okay, to see that be the foot, like, I feel like that's a phase in life that we just kind of skip over, but to see that phase in life kind of focalized on, and then to see the growth that comes after that was really cool. It's really is a slice of life. Like none of these people are chosen one special people. Like they're just average people, you know, living the life, doing the thing. And one of the things we haven't talked about actually is how funny this book is. Oh, it's hilarious. Like I was laughing out loud and I was like, oh my, we're in the dialogue sometimes is hilarious because they just go back and forth about stuff. And Mr. Nakano like is shamelessly. He's so awkward. Yes. But like funny awkward. Which is why like this really needs to be a TV show. Netflix. This is your next big hit. Yes, please. Oh my goodness. It would be, it would be great. And each of the chapters is named after a particular object in the book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And is each, did they each find a home? Is that what it is? That each, each object finds a home in that chapter? Or is it just like, uh. No, it's more so that it's like, the object is like a crucial point in that particular section. Like it's a key item. But I thought that was really interesting how, you know, that she did that, and there was a lot of thought that went into that. I think that definitely emphasizes the themes that we've been talking about in the chapter headings, which I think do give you a clue in to how to look at this book. Yeah, it's basically just all about overlooked things and the value in overlooked things. I really think is probably, if you could boil it down, which I hate to do, but I feel like that's probably like 
one of the main things I think that unifies the story. And I actually think it's helpful to have a unifying thought when you read this the story because it doesn't seem unified at first. Yeah, I know people knock on the whole, like, what is the theme of the book thing, but really is quite helpful when you're trying to think through things. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and I'm not saying that it's the only theme in the book, but I feel like to me that, for me personally, that was the theme that stood out the most. I think it's very well done. I really wish I could read it originally in Japanese. Oh, yeah, I think that would be cool. Well, with all of these, I think it would be cool to read them in the original. Yeah, yeah, I really would. I wish I could... I was bi- bilingual, and I could read books, you know, in the different languages and see the differences. That would be really cool. Yeah, I agree. So, I, th- I think that's it. That went fast. Yeah, it did. It did. So, yeah, I think that's it for our discussion of the Nakano Thrift Shop by Hiromi Kawakami. You can find both uh, the Nakano Thrift Shop and Things We Lost in the Fire in our bookstore. You can go check that out. Um, All the books that we featured in this episode and the last episode are in the bookstore. So if you want to help support the reading limit and have a new book, go check out the bookstore. Yeah, and we have books, too, also from our past episodes, so you can kind of browse those, too, while you're there. So, yeah, that is it from us for our you know, Women in Translation Month. Yeah, so next month we'll be talking about essay collections. I love essays! Yes, actually, I think I think that's what inspired this month. <laughs> yeah, I actually think I picked this one. It was a long time when we picked our themes, so... <laughs> it was. But there are a lot of them, like, floating around, and we were like, the essay is a really um, innovative form that's been coming up and is quite popular right now, so why not talk about them? Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening, and you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and Instagram, and Litzy at Autumn Privet, and you can find Kendra at KD Winchester. And it is Women in Translation Month, so be sure to tag us in any posts about your favorite books in translation. And then next week we will have a blog post going up with some other books in translation that we are recommending or that are on our TBR stack. So yeah, be sure to check those out as well. And again, if thank you so much for listening and be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help other listeners find us and help us to share the love of books. So thank you all so much. Talk to you later, guys. Bye.